0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. If you love the sights, sounds, and smells of manufacturing like me, you're in for a treat. My guest today is Mac Story. Mac is the head of blue-collar leadership. Mac is a manufacturing guy on a mission. He is bringing the message of leadership to frontline workers and supervisors around the country. He understands that leadership matters, especially on the front lines. Most leadership development focuses only in the boardroom, but Mac is getting his message out to the break room as well. This is a fun episode that I know you will enjoy. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today I'm joined by Max Story. Max served in the Marines and spent most of his career working and leading in manufacturing businesses. 12 years ago, he and his wife started a leadership development company called Top Story Leadership. Together, they have published 24 books on leadership development and personal growth. They have also provided leadership training to the US military, Chick fil A, Auburn University, Chevron, and many other world class organizations. Mac also focuses his efforts in manufacturing leadership, which is where I found out about him. He has a program called Blue Collar Leadership, which develops frontline workers and those who lead them. Being a longtime leader in manufacturing myself, I'm excited to hear more about how he is bringing leadership training to the front lines of manufacturing. So, Mac, welcome.
1: Thanks, John. It's, it's a, a pleasure to be on the Deep Leadership podcast today. I really like that name, man. Yeah?
0: <laughs> Great. Yeah, well, I'd like your name, too, of your podcast, Blue Collar Leadership. I like, it's perfect, uh, especially, you know, coming from my background, spending as many years in manufacturing as I have, I think that it's um, it's one of the areas that's not talked about enough. You know, leadership tends to be, you know, big and, uh, you know, top of organizations, but it really comes down to the front line, and I'm really excited to talk to you about that today.
1: Yeah, man, I'm excited. I'm ready. To- Ready to uh, share share a bit a bit about it. One thing uh, your, your audience needs to know, you probably figured it out already, but I want to give them a heads up is I want them to know I'm bilingual. And I don't say that to impress you or them, but to warn them. And a lot of people think we speak all over the country and, and uh, people think uh, I speak English and Spanish, but it's actually English and country, and and I do both at the same time, so it's the best I can do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, I understand that I've lived in the South long enough. I'm from the North, but I've lived here long enough where I can translate most <laughs> Southern accents. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you and your wife decided to start Top Story Leadership.
1: Yeah, actually we we started that in 2008 and actually started it under a different name and it was really just me she supported me a lot and helped me but i was it was really just just me she was still had her career going but it started out as kaizenops was mm-hmm. the name of my co- company you know basically translates to continuous improvement operations and 2008 i stepped out of the corporate world after 20 years and and started my own lean manufacturing consulting business and uh fast forward to 2012 and that's when I, I stepped out of the lean manufacturing consulting business and started my leadership development, personal growth business. And my wife, Ria, joined me at the end of 2012. And I think she was jealous of me being broke for the last year. So she decided to give up her career and be broke with me <laughs> because, because I had you know given up my entire salary in 2008. To, to, you know, in the middle of the great recession when everybody was losing their jobs, yeah, I didn't I, I didn't have a client. I didn't have a business name. I didn't have an idea. All I knew was I was passionate about leaders, uh, lean manufacturing and wanted to go do it at a bigger level because I was kind of getting limited in my company. We had, in the pre- previous three years, we got a new plant manager because we were minus 3% gross profit margin. I'm sure you can mm-hmm. understand that's not a good place to be. That's not a good place to be. And, and so that's where that, you know, the manager that we had before had led us basically to the edge of the cliff. And, but we got a new plant manager, and he was actually a – he was a still in the Army Reserve, but he was a, a commanding officer of an MP unit and infantry mm. unit and, and did some things like that. And he came in, and he didn't really teach us leadership like I do. You know, I, I have, He's the best leader I ever reported to, but, but he still wasn't where he needed to be. And uh, he, he modeled it, which is the best thing. You know, leadership's more caught than taught. He modeled mm. it. He lived it. He, he did it, but he didn't teach us and, and, but, but I learned a lot from him. So basically within three years, when he come in, he unleashed me as the lean coordinator and lean manager and really turned me loose. And then he, he turned a lot of other people loose. You, you may have heard, you know, there's no, no bad teams, only, only bad leaders. Yes, and It doesn't mean they're bad people. They're just bad leaders. And, and when he come in, he, he was a, a great leader and unleashed the people and, we went from minus 3% gross profit margin to plus 35% in just three years. We freed oh, up 50,000 square feet of space and love added it. four new departments and no new people. Not at that time. And, uh, I mean, it was really amazing what, what we all accomplished with, you know, with 200 people because everybody was going to lose their job. I didn't know it until I actually resigned. I didn't know a lot of stuff I'm telling you about the profit margin and the plant was about to be closed. And I didn't know all that till I left the company and, mm. uh, was talking back to my plant manager that I had so much respect for. And he was telling me about it and uh, telling me the story. So anyway, that motivate, motivated me to go out and do my own thing. And then when Ria joined me, and, and that, let me step back, 2005, a, a friend introduced me to The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Great book. I had never, in 20 years of my corporate career, working for multi-billion dollar global companies, no leader, nobody ever had introduced me to the kind of stuff you write about and talk about, the kind of stuff I write about and talk about, anything like the seven habits, 20 years, nobody had ever introduced that to me. So that's some one reason I'm so passionate about Blue Collar Leadership brand is is I want to be the catalyst to get out there and help people introduce this stuff that's normally reserved for white collar executives. Exactly. For the yep. entry level people, the frontline supervisors, middle management, upper management, everybody. There's business owners and CEOs of blue collar companies who ain't ever studied this stuff. Yeah. You're so right. Anyway, that's that's how we got here. When she joined me in 2012, we switched the name over to uh, Top Story Leadership. But that audio I was introduced to, a one-hour highlight of The Seven Habits, I didn't listen to it for three years until 2008 when I started my own company. And uh, that was my first exposure. But I've been reading and studying leadership since 2008 hmm. now. And, you know, that's, that's uh, 12 years down the path. Down the, path. And, <laughs> down and,
0: the rab- a deep rabbit hole. Yeah, 50, there's there's 15,000 books written on leadership. <laughs> so there's, yep. a, there's a wealth of knowledge out there in terms of uh, what you can learn. But, I mean, if you're going to start somewhere, Seven Habits is a great place to start.
1: Oh, yeah. It's, it's still my number one book. I, I may not have ever read it or even got into it if someone would have given me the entire book. But I just had a one-hour audio highlight. That was exactly, I think, what I needed. And that was the catalyst. That was
0: the spark. Isn't that amazing how one spark, one thing can can change the direction of
1: your life? It, I mean, I've really had incredible. personal I've had personal transformation. You know, you may not even know about my personal transformation, but I've been very successful in, in my eyes, coming from where I did, neither one of my parents graduated high school. I, I barely graduated high school, so so you know, for some people, I haven't achieved anything, but for for me, I've I've achieved quite a lot. Especially when you know you talk about, I was in the Marines. I was one of those crazy. I went in the <laughs> Marines because I was crazy to begin with, and, yes. and 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 they made it worse. And so I had a lot of unlearning to do after I got out of that to be able to function in the regular society. But it it took a while. But once I got a hold of the Seven Habits, I got really serious, and then about four years of reading and studying. 2012 is when I really really started my personal transformation. I haven't drank alcohol since 2012, I haven't used profanity mm. since 2012, not even the little word. I think one time I dropped a I was changing out a toilet, man, and <laughs> I dropped the toilet on my thumb and 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 I I just said damn. That's the only word I've said and I don't even like saying it now cuz I don't say it. But I didn't know it just come out. <laughs> one cuss word in the, in the last 8 years, no <laughs> alcohol, so I'm on a mission
0: you're doing you're doing better than myself. So I, I'm a former <laughs> sailor, so it's hard to it's hard to break those habits.
1: <laughs> I, t- I tell people when we're speaking from the stage, when I'm telling my personal story, I tell them that uh, you know, I'm the kind of guy that if if I said a one word sentence, it had to have two words of profanity, or I couldn't get it out. <laughs> but I'm better th- now.
0: <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. They are very helpful. They're good adjectives, adverbs. They can be <laughs> nouns. I mean, you know.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: They're very in the military. I mean, they teach. It teaches you a lot of that. So you hear you hear a lot of it. So
1: yes, sir. And I I just you know, when I when I got into this space, yeah, twenty twelve, I quit drinking alcohol and quit using profanity, and then I went to a day about books that John Maxwell was putting on how he Uh, writes books mm -hmm. because I wanted to write my own books, and so Mm -hmm. I went. That's the first time I invested any money beyond a book into personal development and went to that thing. And then I found out you could get certified to teach his stuff. So I didn't have any books. So, so I think I'd paid me and my son went to the day about books, you know, about 800 bucks, maybe a piece or something. And then we went and found out he had a certification deal where you can teach his books. And that was $5,000 a person. So a couple of months later, we were sitting down there and I paid 5,000 for me and 5,000 for my son. Wow. And, uh, we got into that. And when we left there, I, I told him, I said, how, I said, what's going to be my competitive advantage is going to be the degree that I live, what I'm teaching. Doesn't mean I'm perfect, but I've stopped doing most of all the stupid things I've done and, and because I want to be a good role model. I didn't mm-hmm. really stop for me. I'm kind of that person naturally. I stop so that of when I speak to you, I can speak with integrity or when I speak to the frontline people, they understand I'm not judging them, but I'm trying to get better applying the same stuff that I'm, that I'm teaching them. So I, mm-hmm. I want to have stories and, you know, usually my wife's standing beside me so she can validate who I <laughs> used to be.
0: Yeah, that's very powerful. And I think it's, um, it's, it's really remarkable. And I think as leaders, we have to realize that we can be that catalyst. We can be that spark. We can, we can provide that one thing that can, we can change a person's life completely. And, and, and I, I really, I'm, it's kind of interesting to hear your story, how that one, that one, you know, one hour audio snippet basically changed the direction of your life, and Completely. we have to recognize that we, as leaders, have that level of influence on the people that work for us. we yeah. can and, we can change their their future by the by the words we use and how we teach and how we show and how we demonstrate. So that's very a, powerful. A,
1: absolutely, and I share the entire story in my my book, Defining Influence. Increasing your influence increases your options. Is it's my first book. It's like 250 pages. Most of my books now are 90 pages. People told me that book was too big. So I listened to the voice <laughs> of the customer. The next one was like 125 pages. And then by the third book, I figured out, I've got 13 by the third one, I figured out 90 pages. Cause I can do three page chapters, 30 chapters. It's good for book studies. You can do a 30 day book study. You can do, you can read a, you know, a chapter in six or seven minutes, mm-hmm. three pages. And, uh, so that's what my best clients do. But in that defining influence, I share a lot of the a lot of the things you and I are going to touch on and go across. I kind of share in de- depth in there. My personal story also, but also a lot of what I learned and how I applied it and how I got it wrong and how I got here from frontline entry level machine operator was the first 10 years I was just frontline factory worker mm. from, from 1988 to 98. Mm. And then I kind of accidentally started getting better.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, and, 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 and I guess so. I mean, I, I've written one book and I've got a second one on the way and you've written, you and your wife have written 24 books. So you are uh, obviously very prolific when it comes to writing. <laughs>
1: yeah. I just got a lot of stuff, man, because I got a lot of stories and I, and I know these principles because I live them. You know, I didn't read a book and just start telling everybody what I learned in the book. I read a book and started applying it and getting results mm. and reading more books and applying it and getting better results. And, and so, I mean, most of my books, actually all of them, except for that first big, the big book, the two, my big book, two hundred and fifty pages. I wrote that one in eleven days. All my other books I write them in five days mm, and wow. uh, I, I do a lot of marinating before I decide <laughs> to write it and thinking <laughs> about it. I got a list on my wall over. It's about ten it look like probably fifteen books I want to write one day it'll it'll just pop up that that's the book I'm gonna write. I'll have a week or so, and it takes me about two days to to get the outline done and to get my quotes pulled from my quote files and get everything outlined and then You know, fill in three pages, it's almost like 900 or 1,000 words or 800 words, Mm. fill in, but you know, write a chapter. So once I have the chapter title, subtitle, opening, closing quote, I get the whole book laid out like that. That takes about two days. And then then I can fill in between the quotes of each chapter. It takes about five days. And people seem Uh, to love them. So,
0: well, uh, I, I don't know. For all our listeners, if you want to know how to write a book, there's a there's a formula right there. It's actually a lean
1: formula. I mean, it's lean it principles, yeah. and we do coach, and mentor some people uh, on how to build their brand and write their books. And because I don't see people like you, you're not my competition. You're you're my help. Anybody who wants to do what we're doing in the leadership space. They're not competition. We need, we need all the help. Oh, we, can no. get.
0: we need all the help we can get. I think uh, that's why I'm so passionate about it. I think uh, the fact that, you know, employee engagement remains so low and it has been for the last 20 years, you know, where 30% of people generally in the workplace are engaged, 70% are disengaged. Uh, and a lot of that is to do with leadership. And, uh, and you know, you, your story where you said you worked at a plant, they were losing money and one leader Made a difference, turn that business around and i I believe that leadership matters that um, you can take any bad situation and make make it better through leadership Absolutely. i mean there's obviously some macroeconomic uh, macroeconomic issues where you know things are shifting offshore and things like that, but in general, good leadership can change the direction of any operation, any organization and and you saw that firsthand with uh like you mentioned the leader that you work for and i've seen it firsthand i've seen businesses that were losing money that that over you know two to three years turns into profitable and the morale improves and people are engaged and it's all about leadership and that's why i think that's probably why i I was attracted to you when i first saw you because um i truly believe in blue-collar leadership i really believe that um our people on the front line of our manufacturing businesses, I mean, i have been in manufacturing most all my career other than military, um, is that they they're taken for granted. They're almost thought of as like a piece of equipment versus, uh, their, their brains and their ability to think and their ability to add value and their ability to, uh, Uh, You know, the the guy on the front line in manufacturing has spent uh, 20 years in some cases making those same parts over and over again. If you want to know how to fix it or make that operation better, you have to talk to them. And most leaders don't. They think that, well, they've got their they've got their degree. You know, they've got their wall full of degrees. So they're the experts. Well, the, the guy that's the expert is the guy on the front line. And that's the one you have to talk to. So. Tell me a little bit about blue collar leadership. Why did you go in that direction? Because I, I I feel very passionate about that area. So why did you choose that as uh, a direction for your work? I mean, I know you came from the from the shop floor. So is you know tell us a little bit about uh, blue collar leadership. What the, what what are you trying to do with that?
1: Yeah, like like I mentioned, you know, from two thousand eight, I started reading all these leadership books, and I, not, I quickly discovered most of them were written by pastors or or phd type educators or former military people and, and i think the blue collar folks respect the former military you know mm. veterans more than anybody if they're going to read a leadership book and there's really no, I, to i haven't found really anybody like me who had, mm-hmm. had done it meaning i'm not anything special i'm actually the opposite you know i'm frontline entry level worker for 10 years and i was an idiot <laughs> <for> probably <laughs> 20 years, and you know, from, from 18 to, to 38, I did a lot of really stupid stuff, but, but I'm still very successful and, you know, relative to where I come from, but relative to the blue collar leadership in, in 2012, uh, 20, 2011, I think it was, I can't remember now, but my wife and I started a, I, I was a founding president. My wife was a founding secretary of a organization called central Alabama mountain peddlers, a mountain bike association. Mm. Our goal was to revitalize the state park because it was basically dying in Auburn, Alabama, Chihuahua state park. And, uh, and the reason I was doing that was because I had learned, I had read in a book, if you want to find out what kind of leader you are, go volunteer in a volunteer organization, see what kind mm. of influence you got. So this is where I've talked about. I apply the stuff. And so yeah. I, I started one. I didn't go work in one. I started one from scratch. And it was phenomenal, our, our results. Not because of me, but because of our team. And uh, one of the guys I met there, the very first day I went out to a, a, a trail day, and this was before we actually started the organization. This is kind of what led to it. I met a Auburn University uh, six-time national champion equestrian head coach, uh, Greg Williams. He was maybe three-time national champion then, and uh, him and his wife, Sandy, were standing there with, you know, and stuff, waiting to see well, what were we were going to do because somebody else had kind of organized a loose group to build these trails. Anyway, so I got to know Greg, and he said, if you'll be president, he wanted to form a, you know, everybody wanted to form a, a regular organization, official nonprofit. He said, if you'll be the president, I'll be on the board. I said, well, if you'll be on the board, I'll be the president. I really don't want to do it because I knew it was going to take a couple of year commitment, a lot of commitment. And so I stopped consulting every other week. People don't know I gave up well over six figures to start that organization because I quit consulting, you know, every other week. Mm. I only did 26 weeks instead of 52 weeks. So anyway, I got to know Greg and and I was talking to him about blue collar leadership. I said, that's my my lane. I was just using the term. I said, Mm. "I, I want to do blue collar leadership. Yeah. Like Mac, that's what, that's what you need to do. He said, that's your lane. You need to do it. You need to do it. Yes.
0: 2013.
1: I kind of started writing my blue collar leadership book, but then I stopped and then I wrote defining influence in, in 2014 was my first book was in 2014 and then blue collar leadership. The first one, I got five in that series. Now it didn't come out until 2016. So I wrote a different one and I wrote 10 values of high impact leaders in 2015. And then, I didn't even go back and look at what I had written in 2013. I started back from scratch with blue collar Mm -hmm. leadership. And so, but my passion is as I learned that I wanted to, I wanted to provide something to the frontline entry level people. That's my greatest passion. I always tell people who want to write a book. I'll say they don't really know what they want to write or who they want to talk to. And I'll ask them if they're a person of faith, if they are, it's real easy. If not, I'll say, just pretend you are for a minute. (laughs) If not, but I'll say (laughs) pretend, pretend God come down today. And he said, he said, he said, I'm about to take you home. He said, your time here is about done. He said, but I'm going to give you one opportunity. He said, I'm going to give you an hour to, to tell whoever you want, whatever you want to tell them, to add some value to some people. And I'll ask them, what would that message be? If you had 60 minutes to give one message, what would it be? Because I'm trying to find where their passion is about what they want to talk about. Mm. Then I said, okay, now God's going to tell you. Now you got your message figured out who you want to be sitting. I'm going to put 80,000 people in a, in a stadium who can hear that message, who you want to be sitting there. And if it was me, you know, then I tell them my story and give them my example. I said, if it was me, I want to talk about my blue collar leadership book, leading from the front lines. The one I wrote for entry-level people, CEOs get a lot of value out of that book because I've had them tell me and they buy thousands of them, <clears throat> mm. but I wrote it for the entry-level frontline person. I said, that's the, that's what I want to talk about and who do I want my 80,000 to be in the seat is 80,000 frontline entry-level people. I don't care if they're 18 or 48. I don't care if they're entry-level frontline people, that's who I want to speak to. But Mm. we've been paid $20,000 to speak to a room full of 80 PhD top leaders of a $3 billion organization from 40 countries. I mean, we speak to all kinds of people and we speak to white collar groups, banks and medical, you know, everything. But if, if God told me who I could put in the stadium, who I could talk to, I want to talk to frontline, entry-level, blue-collar people. And mm-hmm. this is the answer. I'm finally getting there, John. I'm kind of slow. But the reason I do it is because these people are the most overlooked, yes. underdeveloped, and quite yes. often, most often, underappreciated. And and I'm telling you, you know this. I got chills right now. That's when I know I'm saying something good. I think, yeah. I think chills when God touches me, Say that's something good you're about to say I get these <laughs> chills. And he, I always had to say, I got to tell people he got chills because you can't see them, right? So right. I want them to know whatever I'm saying means something. And, and I'm about to lose my, my thought, but tell, talking about the chills. But he's uh, man, what was I saying? That happens a lot.
0: <laughs> well, you talk about the blue collar oh, being yep. underappreciated and, and yep. overlooked, and
1: yep. What I know about them, what I was about to say is they they are some really, really, really good people. Yes, and when you get them to trust you whatever you, whatever mission you want to accomplish, just get out of the way. That, that's, yes. that's what I know. That's what I learned from, from really 2008 to 2012. But I had on a few hours from '05 to 2012 when I logged 11,000 hours leading process improvement teams. A lot of times I went in kind of covert operations. I'm going in where people do not really do leadership, but I knew about leadership and I get to lead my Kaizen teams. However I wanted to, you know, I get a mm. team of six to 10 people <clears throat> and go for a week you know, and they don't know me. They don't like me. They don't like change. They don't like their leaders. They don't feel appreciated. Mm-hmm. They underdevelop, you know, all that stuff. And that's, that's where I really learned to lead was leading these people with no formal authority. Mm-hmm. I've had, I've had less than 10 people ever in my career report mm-hmm. to me. I never want to be a boss. I still don't want to be a boss. But once I discovered what leadership is, I, s- I saw, I had a lot of that naturally, but I needed to develop it. You know, it's yeah. kind of like figuring out yeah. I got a knife, but it's never <clears> been sharpened. <throat> I need to sharpen that knife yeah yeah make it useful so that's that's why i'm so passionate about you know <clears> my one of my my registered taglines is uh, helping leaders engage the front line to improve the bottom line a lot of people think that only means i go develop the front line but really how do i really do that is developing the leaders but yeah. i also develop the front line i try to do a holistic approach but I always work wherever i'm allowed to work yeah yeah a lot of times top leaders aren't interested
0: it's interesting you say that because I, I I've I think you know I come from a blue collar background. So my you know my father is an electrician and and, and his father before him, and it's a very blue collar background. And uh, I was the only one ever in my family to go you know go to school and study engineering and and you know and end up going to military. But I've always had a passion for blue collar employees, mostly because of my my background and where I grew up and the people I was surrounded by. And I always noticed uh, that they were overlooked and they were underappreciated. And one of my first manufacturing operation I ran, I did a thing called Fridays on the floor, which meant everybody who was in management had to go on the shop floor and work in the shop floor um, for the entire morning. So we do four hours on the shop floor once a month. And then we would we would gather back. And what did you learn? What did you you know, what's working, what's not working, what'd you hear, you know, who'd you c- connect with? And I got that idea from lean manufacturing and going to Gemba being in, in the place where the real value is being added. And, um, but what, what's interesting is I, and I talk about it in my new book coming out is that there was this one day and it was one mallet that changed the, the entire direction of our plant is we found I was, I was working in one area of the, of the assembly area and they had a mallet that was so worn down uh, it it was all, it wasn't even thicker than the handle itself and they were still trying to use it and i said uh is this the is, what is this thing they said it's a mallet i said well why is it so small it's like well we it's 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 worn out and we just haven't got a, got a new one yet and i said well why didn't have have you asked somebody He's like no we're just trying to get by you know because we know we're, we're we're here to make money and to be pro, you know uh produ- as productive as we can and I was like, well, you know, but you're using a tool that doesn't work, you know, or it's, it's worn out. You could ask somebody about it. And, that, and I actually brought that mallet in the meeting. And I said, this, I was the plant manager. I'm like, this is unacceptable. people. You know, we, you know, they're afraid to tell us that, you know, that, they, that their tools are worn out. They're afraid to tell us that their procedures are wrong. They're afraid to tell us that there's a quality problem. And, you know, how do we change that? And that was really the spark. That one mallet was the spark that changed that plant. And um, and I think it's because we don't connect white collar or blue collar well enough. And the Fridays on the floor was all about getting on the shop floor, communicating, meeting people, understanding their real struggles. Uh, you know, because like you said, you give them the tools, you give them the parts, you give them the the goal, the mission. And get out of the way because they can make it happen. Blue collar people, again, the same thing. I have a deep passion for them. And it's amazing what they can do if they're led properly and given the right tools and procedures.
1: Yeah. You know, something you said reminded me of a quote by Andy Stanley. He said, L- leaders, leader, leaders who don't listen will soon find themselves surrounded by people who have nothing to say. Yeah, And, yeah. and, and I've seen that leading these Kaizen events that I used to lead. So many times, you know, I haven't really done that since 2012. A couple times, but not really. But uh the the people, you know, I, I build trust really quickly. I got one of my books is called Blue Collar Kaizen: Leading Lean and Lean Teams, and it, I teach people in there. It really is a book on how to lead teams effectively, but it, specifically in process improvement. But the principles mm-hmm. apply to leading groups of people uh, through any anything. And but I talk about how I actually did it, like my one week events. I would. The first four hours would be leadership development, personal growth. And when I first started, I didn't have my own books. Actually, when I was doing lean, I didn't have my own books. So I would use Seven Habits or whatever books I was reading. And I'd get the company to buy them books and buy audios and buy videos. And I would just basically play the stuff and interpret it for them. So I would do four hours on Monday, which is really getting mindset right. right. Getting them ready to forget about all the mess, all the people who treat them like crap, and understand I'm there to help them and they can trust me. And then I would do that one hour a day for the rest of the week. So 20% of the week was on leadership development, personal Mm. growth, four hours Monday, then one hour every other day. And we would go out and kill it every time. John, I never, I never had a bad team. I never had bad results, not because I'm special, but because these people know what they're doing. If you'll just turn them loose. Yeah. I tell you this, my son, I didn't, my son hated me from 15 to 19. He really almost didn't speak to me. And when he was 17 is when I discovered the seven habits. And then my mom kept telling him, your dad's getting better. Your dad's getting better. Mm. Your dad's getting better. By the time he was 19, he heard that long enough. <sighs> and he gave me another chance. Yeah. And he called me up. I was in Texas. He called me up. And because I got habit five, right? Seek first to understand, then be understood. I'd been teaching it and talking it for two years and trying to live it. When he called me that night, he hadn't talked to me for four years, basically, wow. unless he had to. And he talked to me for two hours and I listened to him for two hours. And our relationship got, got rebuilt there. I had him on my podcast recently and, and let him kind of talk about that. He told me some stuff I had even forgot about And, and during, during our, my little interview with, with him talking about that. But, you know, that's the other kind of stories. That's why I'm so passionate about it because of the impact it's had on my, my personal life with my family. And that's what I tell leaders. You know, when I go into an organization where I'm talking to the leader like you and they say, how do we, how we get people to buy in? I said, you make it about them. Don't make it about your company, make it about them. Tell them you're bringing me in and you're learning from me and you're learn. They're going to learn from me. But the goal of this whole thing is for you to help them make their life better. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors.
0: Deep leadership is brought to you by strike force energy. Strike force energy is a veteran owned company founded by a Navy seal and their products are all made in the USA. Strikeforce Energy is a liquid flavor pack that you can add into any beverage. It has zero calories, zero carbs, and zero sugar. Each pack contains 80 milligrams of caffeine. Strikeforce Energy is offering a discount to all the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to strikeforceenergy.com and enter the discount code I have the watch, one word, for a 20% discount on every order. Deep Leadership is also brought to you by my Amazon best-selling book, I Have the Watch, Becoming a Leader Worth Following. This book is filled with 23 short stories on how you can become a more effective leader. It's super easy to read and most people finish it in less than two hours. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and click the large orange button for sign copies. Enter the discount code, I have the watch, one word, at checkout for 20% off your order and domestic shipping is always free.
1: Chick-fil-A was a client of ours for for three years and uh, Jimmy Collins, who was a former president. I think it was at Kathy's third employee in 1967 or eight. Wow. He, wow. he worked there with 33 years and he was re- retired in 2001 when mm-hmm. they reached a billion dollars in sales from startup. And uh, he's a personal friend and mentor of mine for the last five years. And, you know, Jimmy is a good guy, but he wouldn't be interested in investing any time with me if I u- was still the old Mac. Mm-hmm. But he's one of the reasons I got blue collar leadership registered between him and my wife, Rhea. And Jimmy, Jimmy was always saying, "You got to get it registered, Mac." This book yeah. leadership is something special, you know. And Jimmy, Jimmy follows me on Facebook and likes my stuff and comments and all uh, LinkedIn. And I'm like, "That's just crazy that the, the man, the number two guy at Chick fil A, thinks what I'm doing is right and follow. You know, follows me probably uh, more than I follow him because I don't really, you know, get on social media to. That's, that's powerful. In
0: fact, I actually included a bit about Chick-fil-A in, uh, in my first book, just in terms of, um, how they get things right in terms of, uh, but it's all about people, right? Empowering people to, to bring their best every day, but they... You know, I, I think there's a quote from Truett that says, you know, we're not in the chicken business. We're in the people business. Exactly. And that's, uh, the, you know, my, my first book, it's all about the leadership as a people business. And, and I use Chick-fil-A as an example of a company that's got it right. You know, I mean, they're not perfect, but they certainly are working towards that that idea that that it's a people business and it's not a chicken business and I think that uh there's a lot if you're if you're working closely with them and you're associated with like Jimmy I I think it's the right there's a lot of good stuff there uh what they're doing so in fact I actually got a chance to meet with the management team where I have my factory uh the the local management team at Chick-fil-a I actually had a meeting with them and they they were looking at the book and we were talking about different things so so okay. I've had a chance to work with the the local Chick-fil-a management team that's who I, I, that's who I
1: was working With I didn't work with the headquarters. I I met Jimmy actually after I was no longer working with Chick Fil A. I think, maybe I was still. Maybe that was in the third year. But I met him through LinkedIn. I saw really post about his book. uh, Yeah, something about Chick Fil A being the president of Chick Fil A, and I thought he was a hoax because I had never heard of anything but the Cathys. And right, right. But he was actually the the president and COO. And we know when when he retired, not resigned. I might have said resigned, but he retired. And uh, so you know, it's kind of cool. I, I saw his book. I sent him a message on LinkedIn and told him I'd love to, at that time I lived in Auburn, Alabama. So I'd love to drive up to Atlanta and have lunch with you or something. And if, if you're open to it, and we went to the original Dwarf House by the Atlanta airport where Truett actually started his hamburgers joint in 1947. Wow. Wow. And he turned it into, it's a Chick-fil-A now, but in 67, I guess he converted it to Chick-fil-A after 20 years of it being kind of like a hamburger joint. And uh, so we met there for a couple hours and I've actually interviewed him. I was over at his house a while back, and I got three interviews with him on my my podcast. So that was kind of cool to memorialize you know, some of his stories and time together. But they were, you know, I got a book called Blue Collar Culture. I mean, Blue Collar Leadership and Culture: The Five Components for Building High Performance Teams. And that book, I mean, I talk about and, and, and acknowledge Jimmy and and Deanne Turner, who was Vice President of Talent, kind of HR. She's recently retired too. That that Jimmy introduced me to her, but I kind of dedicate a little bit of acknowledgement in the front of it for Chick-fil-A and those two folks and, and Truett. And, uh, I never got to meet Truett, but that book is really how to help any, any blue, any industry really. But I wrote it for the blue collar folks, mm. you know, how do you, how do you become the Chick-fil-A of your industry? Because if wow. you'll try to do that, yeah. you no nobody you can compete. Yeah, with no, you're right. Culture. When
0: you, when you, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's culture is hard to beat. It's hard to beat a, a company where everybody's engaged and, 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 and the way you get people engaged is by treating them with, as people and with respect. And I think that they, that organization is, you know, again, no company's perfect, but they certainly are moving in the right direction with respect to people. So, yeah, that's really good. And what's, what you just said, and I just thinking about that as for our listeners, let me just get this clear you didn't know jimmy firsthand you found him on linkedin you send him an email and you end up having lunch with him and yep, then and end up becoming uh
1: becoming We're friends, friends man yeah i mean i called him check I mean, on him you know see how he's doing in the so, coronavirus he don't live too far from me interesting
0: actually. so so to, to the people that are listening right now did you uh, you know just understand that if there's someone that that you're that you look up to you know or you want to meet you can meet them you can you can you can make it happen but you have to take the initiative you can't think of them as on a high horse somewhere but you also have to go into and i think probably you would add to this i always say you go into a relationship right not to try to get one thing out of a person but you go in there to have a 50 year relationship if not more if you if you think of it that way and i'm sure when you when you met jimmy the first time it wasn't that you wanted to get one thing out of him right
1: I just wanted to hear him talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wanted to hear some of the story and man, he's got stories. He's got a great book called creative followership in the shadow yeah. of greatness. He don't talk about leadership. He talks about followership. followership yeah. When I, I read his book before I really reached out to him cause I want to know who he was and what he was about. And it's funny. I had already written a uh, blue collar leadership when I, when I met him and uh, no, I hadn't, I hadn't written it, but when I wrote it, it was so funny. I can't get my numbers right to get that moment, but <laughs> all these years and all these books, but blue collar leadership is really, all, it's got a lot of the same principles that he wrote about in his creative followership book. Cause really blue collar leadership is that book is really how to lead yourself. Well, how to become mm-hmm. a high impact individual, which is, is leadership of self, which is also followership of others, you know, how to follow. Well, if you're following yeah. well, especially without a position of formal authority, if you're following well, it means you're leading yourself well. Mm. And so it's funny because I remember what it was. Now I didn't write that book till later, but I had wrote some blogs and one of them, I talked about firing your boss. And when I read Jimmy's book, he's got a chapter in there about firing your boss. And I'm like, man, me and this guy are on the same page, we think <laughs> the same way. And, and we really do. And that's, I think that's another reason, you know, he's really just kind of took me under his wing, not just as a friend, but mentoring and, and, mm. uh, I don't bother him too much, but I can call him. It's about time for me to call him again, I actually check on that's, him. But I don't, I don't really bother great. him. I don't want to abuse the yeah. relationship.
0: Yeah. But I think that's, I think there's a, there's a powerful story there too that, uh, you know, you can follow people, um, but you can also, you know, have a relationship with people that, that you look up to. And I think you, it sounds like you gained a lot through that relationship.
1: I think a lot of it. I mean, there's not a whole lot of people that, that I know personally that I really want to follow. I, I read a lot of books. I mentor myself through people's books. And a lot of times I've learned when I actually meet the people, I don't want to follow them. So <laughs> because they're they they, they, they they're not who they are. They're not you authentic. Know, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I say it sometimes. I, I say this from the stage. Who we are sometimes is who we are all the time. And most mm. people need an explanation for that. And what I tell them is who you are at your worst is who you are.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Whenever you're being better than that, <laughs> You, you you may be trying to get better, but you're not better yet. You're still, wh- whoever you are is your worst behavior. Yeah. You know, it's stuff that yeah. people are hiding from everybody else. That's, you know, like when I used to drink and use profanity. I didn't do it everywhere. Mm. You know, I, I talk about being two-faced. I was like ten-faced. I was so many different people to so many different people. I'm the same exact person 24-7 today, and it's kind of nice. I don't have yeah. to yeah. be somebody different. Uh, that's it. And
0: people sense that too. When you're authentic people, people know it and they feel it. So when you're, when you're faking
1: it, everybody knows. Yeah. Everybody knows. They just don't know (laughs) if you know,
0: right. Then they know. (laughs) So, um, one of the things I've been asking my, my guests, and I wanted to get your take, um, is, uh, about leadership. So what are some characteristics of a great leader in your mind?
1: Yeah, we touched on them kind of just now, but authenticity, that's number one, authenticity, transparency and integrity integrity kind of takes a lot of stuff. I mean, actually all of those three, pretty much any leadership principle doesn't work without like a thousand more wrapped around it. Right. It's why I talk about leadership. So dynamic and complex, but the same thing that made a great leader 2000 years ago or 20,000 years ago, or 200 years ago is the same thing that makes a great leader today. The practices Mm. are different. The stories are different. Where it's being applied are different. And, but the principle of the person. See, I talk about leadership development is character development when I talk about it. And the foundation of leadership development is personal development. Hmm. So, you know, a lot of people can't be authentic because they had too much stuff. Right. Or if they were truly authentic, they'd turn so many people away, they wouldn't have any influence. So they had to pretend. I mean, that's what I used to do. You know, I wouldn't use profanity in certain places, people I wouldn't drink. Like when I met Rhea, we've been together 20 years now, but when I met her, her grandparents didn't know I drank. They may not I still know I ever drank. I really don't <laughs> know, but they know now that I don't drink. <laughs> and and I probably told them that story. I really can't remember. It's been a while now, but uh, authenticity, transparency. I, I, we were in Guatemala with John Maxwell in 2013. 20, 000, uh, we trained 20,000 Guatemalan leaders as part of the cultural transformation of the entire nation. About 150 of us paid all of our expenses to go down there for a week and we were got to be in the presidential palace with John and the president. And, and, uh, basically the underlying principle was transformation be- begins with me. And there was a guy, one day I was training 50 executives and, and I was teaching them this stuff and I was talking about kind of book study type things. and And I was saying, when you share, you need to be authentic and transparent. Talk about your weakness. Don't talk about your strength when you do the book study. And you say, "I underline this because." Let the "because" be something from a place of humility, so that they can see that you need—you know—you got a weakness. And I was teaching them that. One of the guys raised his hand. He said, "He said I got a question, Mac." He said, "Won't it be harder for me to lead my team if I go tell them my weakness?" I said, "Well, sir, if, if you believe that, you have a false assumption." And He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "You think they don't already know your weakness?" Mm. I said, yeah. right now, everybody in this room, the last person you reported to, could you tell me their weakness? You know, everybody says, yeah. I said, you don't even need any time to warm up. You don't even need to think about it. <laughs> yeah. I said, I bet you could tell me the weakness of every leader you've ever reported to since you started working for somebody. Mm. You could tell me their weakness. I said, those people already know your weakness, just like you knew your leader's weakness. I said, what they don't know is, do you know it? And then do you care about working on it to get better? Mm.
0: That's powerful. It really is. Yeah, your people know your weaknesses, and uh, like, don't don't think knows. that you're don't think that you're pretending because they uh, <laughs> they know. <laughs>
1: everybody knows.
0: Yeah, I was telling somebody I was teaching at a um, at Duke University, a graduate level, uh, doing a little leadership session, and um, one one uh, one of the students said, "How do you know you're a good leader?" That was kind of an interesting question, and I said, "I said, well, I said if there's a group of employees and they're sitting around talking." and you walk up, if they all go silent, then you've got work to do, <laughs>
1: <Yep>. <laughs> right? Because they're
0: like, oh, the boss is here. Don't say anything, right? Because they're not being authentic with you, and you're not being authentic with them, right? But if you have that relationship, and if they know that you're a leader that can be trusted, then they turn and say, hey, how you doing? What's going on? We were just talking about X, Y, and Z. You can tell when you go up to a group of people if you're if you're a good leader or not.
1: Yeah, man. I was leading a, a, a 5S, a month long 5S improvement event in a big maintenance shop for like really a, a massive company. I mean, 100, 100 plus billion dollar company. And I did a month project and I went in and the maintenance manager, you know, he, he wouldn't even really participate. He was not a leader. He was a manager. So, you know, I'm in there leading them. And then you can tell when you go into those places, it's hard to build trust. And yeah, yeah. But we, we slayed the dragon. It was unbelievable. But I'd get there. You know, we start at 6. I get there 10, 15 minutes till, And the night shift and day shift maintenance crews are in the meeting in the office break room, whatever it was, where they were at. And they just talk, talk, talk. they talking about they doing perfect, what teams ought to do, what happened last night, what you need to do today. And, you know, they strategizing and planning and helping each other and, and cutting up and laughing and cutting up and laughing with me. And, you know, I'm a consultant, but I had built my relationship and trust then. And then usually after 6, so 5, 6, 10, whenever he wanted to, the, their manager would come in with a sheet of paper and lean up against the wall. Wouldn't say hello. Wouldn't say nothing. He'd just mm. tell them, start telling them what they needed to do, and then he'd ask them if they had any questions. And it was silent. As soon as he walked in, it was just like you said. Yeah, yeah. I write about that, I think, in my Kaiser <laughs> book, but in silence. They wouldn't say nothing. He'd say Do you. Have any questions? He didn't mean, Do you have any real questions? He did. He right. mean, Do you understand what I just told you to do? That's, That's exactly what he, meant. what he said. They yeah, already yeah, knew yeah, that because yeah. they've been trained to know that. Yeah. Nobody says anything and they don't say anything, you know, to him about anything. He walks out and then they kind of like the crickets. They come back to life. And then they badmouth the leader and then they talk about the stuff the leader actually needed to know about.
0: Yeah. But yeah. the
1: leader ain't never going to know about it because they don't trust him. They don't like him. They don't want to wow. talk to him. Wow. So they do what they have to do to play his game and then they try and constantly to do what they actually need to do. And that's, that's why I'm so passionate. Cause I've seen this. I mean, John, I went into one company. First time I was ever there, they were producing some little thing. They were trying something new. they have been working on it for like eight weeks and it was, the deadline was coming up. They needed to produce 120 of them per day. They were working 10 hours a day with seven people and could only make 35. So you can do the math. They couldn't make it if they worked 24 hours. So now they had done, got into panic mode and were about to start outsourcing, which was making it even more expensive and worse. So they brought me in the first time I had been there. And they was all mad at me. They was cussing me. They didn't like me. They didn't like the the big dog who brought me in who said they got to slow down for a week because they already been under the gun and you know all kind of mess. But I love it. That's what I really love right there because I know what's going to happen. They don't know, but I know. <laughs> so I go in and I do my little thing, which I talk about in the Kaizen book. Fast forward to Friday of that week, they had improved output per person per hour three hundred and seventy six percent. And the the person who has been doing a lot of the work come up a couple of weeks later. I was down there and he's thanking me. He come up patting me on my shoulder. Thank you, Mac. He said. I said, What you thanking me for? He said. He said, Cause my my shoulder don't hurt anymore. I mean, they were doing one hundred and twenty in, in eight hours instead of ten with five people instead of seven. And they wasn't walking a thousand feet to produce the parts anymore. They walking like sixty feet. Yeah, it was yeah. all so easy, and they were single piece flow. They had built all these racks, and they had all these tables, and all that <laughs> stuff was gone. Places to stack inventory, and you know it was just crazy. But the reason I say that is the people were not bad. Like the leader, the leader had been there thirty years running that little plant. Not the leader who hired me, but the one who was cussing me because he had to be on the on on the team. But by Wednesday he was loving me, and by Friday mm. he, he he's been my You know, I I hadn't talked to him in a long time, but for years I was supported them and he loved me the whole time. And I mean, he was like one of my biggest cheerleaders because it helped him take a lot of stress off. But what he hadn't done is he had never read a leadership book. Mm. He'd been managing for 30 years. He had never read lean stuff, you know, and he was blaming the people for his lack of ability to to lead well. He didn't have competency of lean and he didn't have leadership ability. Mm. And the people were struggling and he was blaming them. And I come in and all I did was teach them some stuff, turn it over to the people, say, here's some principles. What can y'all do? You know, and I'd ask a lot of questions. And by Friday, it's got nothing to do with Mac's story. It's all about the team. And I get in the back of the room and I let the team put the PowerPoint up and the big dogs come in. Let them tell, tell them what they did. And anytime any leaders walk in and try to push them in the direction they didn't want to go, I'd let them do it. I'd watch the team lay back in the chair and cross their arms, you know, and they're not bought into that leader coming in telling them what they need to do. And when the leader would leave, I'd say, don't worry about what he just said. Let's think about it, though. Did what he just said make sense? And I'll ask some questions. I said, if, if anything in there made sense, let's take that value and let's apply it. Mm-hmm. If everything was total nonsense, that guy don't know what he was talking about, forget what he said and let's figure out what we need to do. Because mm-hmm. when, they, when they own it, guess who owns it? They own it. Right, right. When the leader walks in and tries to make them own something they don't want, he owns it. Mm. They may make it. they He may come in and force them to change something, but they're not going to make it work because it ain't their idea. They actually right. want to make it fail because it's his idea, and he don't have any trust. So that's you know that's what I got to do for eleven thousand hours was lead leaders and lead teams and try to get them to work together and you know cross the supporting roles, the engineers, the maintenance, getting everybody together, and that's where I learned to. To lead, but I swear I found my passion for leadership. So if people who really know about lean in a deep level, like you know, not deep leadership, but the deep <laughs> level of learning about lean, a uh, deep competency, would know that I'm still doing lean because the two pillars are continuous improvement and respect for the people. I just don't yeah. do continuous improvement really anymore. I do respect for the people and let the people do it. the continuous improvement. And
0: I love it. That's probably why I, I'm attracted to what you do, because I think I, I come from the same kind of mindset with the lean background. In fact, I think my first episode on this, uh, this podcast was about Gemba, and I was introducing that term just to the idea of getting out to where the value is at and, you know, and listening to the people and talking to people and seeing it firsthand. And Because too many, I, I mean, I did 22 years in corporate America and I saw too many white collar uh, bosses never go to where the value is added. They never left their little bubble. And I think that uh, that's probably one of the biggest reasons uh, bosses fail is they never leave their bubble. They never go talk to people who are there. They're never authentic. They never remove that uh, that barrier between them, you know, us and them. And I think once you do that, once you take that away and you get to know people, you realize that they have so much to add, so much knowledge, so much value. And, uh, and I think you, what you're doing is, is, uh, is unleashing that, uncovering that and, and bringing all those ideas, all that passion, all that knowledge and, and, and allowing that to, to change an organization. I think that's very powerful.
1: It's so. a lot of fun. There's a lot of insecure leaders out there. I don't care if they're CEOs, VPs, executive. I don't care, frontline, entry level, supervisor. It doesn't matter. People are insecure. Yes. Especially, you know, it's another thing in the blue collar space. A lot of times, people are competing to get promoted to that first leadership position. So whoever does the best job is the one who usually gets promoted. They may not have any clue about leading people. You know, me influencing you to do a good job is a lot different than me doing a good job by myself. Mm. And so a lot of them get moved up. And so, because they had to compete for that job, when they get their first leadership job, they're doing the same thing. They're trying to compete with the now their peer supervisors or managers, whatever. They're right. competing to get the next job because most companies don't do any leadership development. I mean, most of them do none. Mm. I I ask a lot of times when I speak at conferences, all kinds of different conferences. We do a lot of on-site training, but a lot of different conferences. And I'll ask people in the room. I was just at a a medical conference last week, but I asked the leaders, I said, how many of you, raise your hand, how many of you do book studies with your team? Not a single hand. Mm. And that's what our best clients, that's actually what they do is book studies. Mm. And that's why I write my books like that. I make it easy for them. And and I teach them how to do it. And there's no preparation. There's no homework. Nobody teaches. Nobody, shouldn't even really be a discussion. Read the book, take turns reading a paragraph, you know, four four to ten people, take turns reading a paragraph no matter if, if you got four people or 10 people, it's going to take you six or seven minutes to read a chapter in one of my books. Then while you're reading, everybody underlines a key point. You know, they can underline five if they want to, but when we get done with our five or, or six or seven minutes, everybody gets one minute to go around the table and say, this was my key takeaway. And the mm-hmm. most important part of all of it is why. And if I can say why from a place of humility, you know, cause I ain't really thought about that. I got it wrong with my kid yesterday or I got it wrong with you yesterday. And then you go to the next person and you just say, thank you. If somebody wants to pass. You say, thank you. When you're done, you get up and you leave. That's, that's kind of what we did in Guatemala, but we added an assessment on to that. I don't really teach people to do the assessment, but, but I, my license and certification for teaching my content, I do have an assessment in there in case somebody wants to take it to the next level, but that's a simple book study. And that's what our best clients do. And it is amazing. There's, on my podcast, uh, episode 169 and 170 has two different leaders in two different industries who started doing book studies. And they talk about the tremendous, unbelievable results mm. that, that they get. And the, one of them is the CEO of a 5,000-person company. He read Blue Collar wow. Leadership book, you know, the one I wrote for the entry-level people. And then he called me up or sent me a message on LinkedIn and said, I want to meet with you. He lived in Louisville, Kentucky, but his headquarters happened to be in Atlanta, and it's actually only about six miles from my house. So we met on the next Monday for about four hours. I took him a whole set of all five of my, my books, and uh, he bought 600 of the culture books after he read it. He started leading his executive staff, VPs, through a book study. And he talks about it on the podcast. They, they didn't like it on you know first round. It's like being back in elementary school. We got right. We're reading with, with the CEO, and they're the big dogs but he said after two or three weeks they wanted to do it and then after they got done they cascaded it down they all got a team and cascaded it down then those folks got a team and cascaded it down and, mm. and now they've bought i don't know how many blue collar leadership books and now they're starting cascading that one down through the organization that's great, so gonna that's do, great. he said they're gonna buy five thousand. you know that i don't know if I, I, I believe him but you know that they're an airline ground support industry so they're kind of down right now from about 5,000 to like 3,600 folks. Mm-hmm. But they, they'll be coming back because his leadership. He's There's no telling where Mike Huff's going to go. That's the CEO. <laughs> He's a tremendous leader. He gets it like me and you. He started out throwing bags on a conveyor, fill up a you know, plane, and he loves the people. He, he'll get on a Zoom conference with us sometimes, and, I mean, he'll tell them, I want you to get better. If you want to leave this organization and you need to to get better, we want to support you. All we want to do is help you get better. And while you're on the team, we want you to be on the team. Mm. I mean, that's, oh, that's powerful. That's powerful.
0: Well, I'm going to – I think uh, we've gone a little bit you know, over time, but I'm, this has been a phenomenal conversation. So, And I'm probably going to have to have you back, Mac, because I think there's a lot more that we can dig, dig into and talk about. So, um, But uh, let me just uh, give you an opportunity. How can listeners – connect with you, find out more about your company, your books, your podcast, what's the best way to reach out to you.
1: Yeah, a couple of my my top level website is topstoryleadership.com and that's where you actually kind of see it looks more white collarish, it's kind of the generic white collar version it showcases me and my wife because she's kind of come from a healthcare administrative background, but uh bluecollarleadership.com is is where you can can go find out about me. And if, if you want to sample these books, you can go to bluecollarleadership.com, type in forward slash and the word download. And you can actually, I think I've got about eight books featured there, but all five of, you can read the first five chapters of all five of my Blue Collar Leadership books. And you can see the outline and opening closing quotes for the rest of the 25 other chapters. And then uh, LinkedIn, that's really my platform of choice. I got about 50,000 followers there. And uh, I put out something every day on LinkedIn. I got probably nearly 300 articles or something like that. I've got about 200 podcast uh, episodes. Go to Blue Collar Leadership on your favorite podcast app. You should be able to find that or just go to Blue Collar, bluecollarleadership.com and look at the podcast. I was
0: able to find it and I'm subscribed now. So I get to, I won't miss an episode now.
1: So yeah, I got to get on yours. I listened to one of your episodes last night. I really like who you are. We are on the same page, John. And.
0: We, we are very much alike, and uh, that's that's why this conversation has gone on for so long, because I really do appreciate it. There ain't many of us out there. No, there's not. And I think we're kind of cut from the same cloth. And I think even, you know, the blue-collar background, I mean, I always worked blue-collar jobs before I went into university, and then, and then the military background, and then it's sort of, you know, it's a hands-on uh, life, lifestyle, I think. And I think you bring that into leadership. Uh, I think people can appreciate you better when they, you know, I always laugh at, People look at me and they don't see, see me as a CEO because I'm wearing typically jeans, a t shirt, and I've got, you know, beat up, you know, steel toe boots, but that's just who I am. And uh, exactly. And that's uh, powerful. Yeah. I mean, I have degrees from Cambridge University, but that doesn't matter. You know, that's Blue collar folks is, the folks
1: on our front line don't care. They, they
0: don't care where <laughs> I went to school. They just care about what, what I'm trying to help them, you know, become in their lives and, and what our company is to, to become. So,
1: yeah, John, people don't I care a,
0: about that. Yeah. Can,
1: can I share some? Since you mentioned that, sure, maybe me think some. Sure. Just like twenty seconds. People ain't gonna believe it probably if they understand who I am, <laughs> where I come from. But twenty eighteen, I was invited to speak at Yale University School of Management on blue collar leadership, and the subtitle innovation in talent development. Wow. And the reason, and we're speaking to a lot of talent development professionals from around the country who are having a conference there. And uh, I had to get on Google, find out where it was at. I didn't know what state it was in. I never expected (laughs) to be there for any reason, (laughs) but it was really cool experience. But the reason blue collar leadership is innovative is hardly anybody does it. Yes. Especially for the frontline people. Almost nobody does it for the frontline. And few do it even in blue collar industries for the upper level people.
0: Yeah. And if you think about an organization, right? So typically you think of a global organization that is, uh, you know, producing products. How many what is the percent of their employees that are actually blue collar
1: employees? Uh, most of them most of them right, <laughs> even 80... the ones up in the offices, most of them still yeah. come from downstairs.
0: Yeah, so you're talking eighty to ninety percent of the employees, and that is all your potential. We hear that, oh leader, uh, people are our greatest assets, really? Uh, what are you doing to develop those assets and to, mm. and to maintain those assets and improve those and, and get the most out of? The people that uh, work for you. And I think you're right. I think it's an often ignored um, resource in a company. And we tell people to bring their hands and their backs to work. But we don't tell them to bring their minds and their passions and their ideas. So, and it's really sad. I, I, I yeah, I mean, uh, what is it? The, you know, the seven deadly waste, right? Isn't it, is it seven? I can't remember now. But
1: I it's, teach eight, but most people but, do teach seven. But what's them? the
0: eighth deadly, deadly waste?
1: The eighth is non-utilized people. Which that's is, it. So a lot of people don't talk people. about
0: that. So there's seven deadly ways from lean, but the eighth one is not using people to their full potential. And I yep, think not that's, about
1: using their physical ability, but their mental yes, ability, their mental ability. Yeah. Neck down people worth $10 an hour from neck up their priceless.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that, that waste, I think about every day.
1: Is, Cause it um, leads to all the other seven ways. You know, know, most people teach overproduction is the worst waste. I teach non-utilized people is the worst waste because they're the ones that generate the other seven. And also, I learned this from Bob Chapman and in Everybody Matters. If you want to get people to buy into lean, don't talk about eliminating waste. Talk about eliminating mm. frustration. Yeah. People buy into eliminating frustration. Yes. Most yeah. people care less about eliminating waste, but if you can eliminate frustration, you're actually eliminating yeah. the waste.
0: Yeah. Get rid of the mallet that has worn <laughs> down to the nub.
1: <laughs> and it makes yeah. their
0: their job easier. So yeah, man. Yeah, that's great. Well, we're going to put um, links to all of uh, things you talked about, all all of your website, your books, your podcast. We'll put that on uh, the show notes for this. Thank you. And um, leaders, hopefully, you took a lot out of Max's conversation here, and uh, there's a lot more to uncover. Um, He's very prolific when it comes to writing and articles and and uh, podcast episodes. He's got tons of podcast episodes. I just was on there, so reach out to Mac, take a look at his resources. Uh, He can be a good resource for you. Learn from guys like Mac that are, that are making a difference in organizations. If you want to get that 70% of your organizations that's not, not engaged today, follow a guy like Mac and he'll, he'll show you the way or at least point you in the right direction. And uh, so I really appreciate uh, Mac meeting you, hearing your story and then all the things that you taught us today.
1: Thank you, man. It was a privilege. And, uh, I can't wait to read Deep Leadership. Now, now I understand you got another book. So I got to get those ordered because when I meet somebody like you that I really align with, I know I'm going to like your stuff. So then I'm be sharing your quotes in, in my books and, and on my, my LinkedIn page like I do everybody else that I read.
0: Oh, that's great. That 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 would be great. Well, very good. So um, So that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you.
1: Thank you. tricast